Hey everyone, welcome to episode 29 of the Antler Up podcast. And on today's episode, Dimitri and I are joined by Alaska Guide Creations sales manager, Zach Jones. In this episode, Zach shares with us some awesome gear information, some of his tactics for hunting early season mule deer, and what he does to get ready for the bow season. Big thank you to all of you for the continued support, and especially thank you to all of our amazing partners. Be sure to check them out over on our website at antlerupoutdoors.com. Onyx is the number one hunting app that allows you to know exactly where you stand. I know this is the one tool that we use probably more so even then our bows uh, when, when we get going uh, just because we're always looking for that next piece of property that we could hunt uh, and that next potential uh, spot where we think could be a, a, a home run for us. So for just 30 bucks you can get the most out of your hunts and know exactly where you stand. So check out onyxmaps.com and download that number one hunting this week, I am finalizing all my gear for the Utah trip. And one piece of gear uh, that I'll be bringing with me is First Light's Ridgeline QZ Pullover. This pullover is perfect for cool mornings and even when the sun's starting to go down. The piece dries quickly and adds a layer of durability over merino core with the deep chest zipper, which allows you to effectively uh, vent and then also allows you to get easy access uh, to your bino harness. Amazing quality, amazing product wonderful people go check them out and all their awesome gear at firstlight.com and what we've been mentioning uh mentioning on our podcast a couple weeks ago about sever releasing their brand new 2.0 and their robusto uh 2.0 heads uh, man i got them in they're awesome the new sweat back design is going to be awesome for penetration uh so you're going to get 15 percent more penetration on those than compared to the 2.1 which is awesome uh, same amazing durability in these heads as well. And man, I cannot wait to, to see what they can do, hopefully here in less than three weeks in Utah and obviously here on some whitetails. So make sure you go check them out over at severbroadheads.com. Over the weekend, man, I had the pleasure of heading to the Stokerize headquarters and what a great trip it was. I've talked to, about it before, about what amazing people they are behind the scenes there. But Hey, their products are made right there in-house, right here in Pennsylvania. And if you're looking to have a custom stabilizer, I highly encourage you to go check them out uh, for what they have to offer. I'm using the new micro diameter M1 SS114 stabilizer, and I freaking love it. And again, the product, man, is, is truly amazing, but the people are even better. Uh, and that's just amazing to, to have them to talk to us and uh you know have us rep them so made it here in the usa and stokerize strong check them out over at stokerize.com again thank you everyone for listening i hope you enjoyed today's show uh that we have going on with zach we got a lot out of it hopefully you do too and i'll tell you what i'm gonna i want to give away uh an onyx membership uh just for the premium so you get one state and here's what we're gonna do uh, if, if you go ahead, leave a review because that helps us out, man. And, uh, you know, if you do it, take a screenshot of it, share it with, share it with me on Instagram over at antler underscore up underscore outdoors. And, uh, I'll put you guys in a drawing. I'll do a random drawing and we'll get you squared away with a one state, uh, Onyx maps, especially now that, uh, total archery challenge is canceled. We got a bunch of, of those that we want to give away. So, Hey, Make sure you send that over to, to me and we'll go ahead and pick a winner uh, for next week's episode. So thank you again, everybody, for the support. Enjoy this one with Zach and Alaska Guy Creations. Until next time, Antler Up. 
Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Antler Up podcast. And on today's episode, we are joined by Zach Jones with Alaska Guide Creations. Zach, thank you for coming on, man. How are you doing? Good. How you doing? Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thank you. No problem. Thank you for taking the time out to come on and talk to us a little bit about some uh, Western hunting, talking to us hopefully a little bit about uh, your gear and what you guys offer. And uh, like I told you right before we got on, we, we've been using the uh, the packs already and, and uh, have been for, for quite some time now and just really enjoy the quality and uh, what you guys stand for. So it's it's a really cool time to, to have you on. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm, it's, it makes me happy. You know, we're a Western brand. You guys are back east in Pennsylvania. And it's nice to hear that we're growing that way uh, into a lot of different markets. And um, I, I think it's a good thing that, you know, guys that hunt all different types of way can use a product to fit their needs, not just, hey, here's a product and it fits this mold and that's it and good luck. Yeah, how about it? And that's, I mean, for us, I, Dimitri and I, we're, we've been coming from, you know, tree stand hunting our whole life, basically. And, uh, I'll be going, uh, into saddle this year. So I'm going to be testing that out. And, uh, and I know a lot of people that have already been using the products while they do those type of style hunting. And obviously it works great as you get down for that, uh, spot and stock as well here for, for Pennsylvania. I know, uh, some of our friends that really just get after it on the ground and really don't even get up in a tree. And, uh, that's where kind of, it, it kind of sparked that interest for me to, to start wearing a pack and it made it a lot easier too. when, whenever we do the total archery challenge and when, whenever we're shooting around, it's like, you know what, I'm just going to put, put my money's worth into a nice quality product. And man, I've, I've had it now for two years and been blown away by it. No, for sure. And we hear that, um, more and more as more, you know, more of the white tail world, the three stand hunters, um, kind of migrate to it. It's, it, it's definitely taken some time to get that momentum. Uh, but we hear more and more from um, whitetail guys, even turkey guys, that instead of taking a backpack that's kind of cumbersome, especially if you're in tight quarters in a tree or a saddle, and you can really have everything you need right at your fingertips in a vinyl pack, um, it's, it's kind of one of those pieces that it may not have been designed for that originally, but it fits really well into that, mo that model and that style of hunting. Right. That's awesome. Well, you know, let's dive into it, Zach, and tell us a little bit about who you are and uh, what your position is with Alaska Guy Creations, and then like a little bit too of, of uh, what's your bread and butter as far as hunting goes and uh, what what you're into. Okay, yeah. So uh, at Alaska Guide, I'm, I'm vice president, um, and that, that sounds very important. I promise you it's not. Um, I essentially run um, and take care of the ma managing production, material procurement, um, customer service, like if you called the customer service line on the, the website, you're either going to talk to Jared or myself. Uh, Jared is the founder and owner. He started the company. Well, let me take a step back. He started making vinyl packs in like the 70s when he was guiding in Alaska. So he's truly like an innovator well beyond his time. Um, as far as that goes, I mean, that back then, you literally the only thing people had was just the strap that went around your neck. There wasn't even a four like the four point connection straps that, that a lot of guys went to, you know, nineties, early two thousands. Um, anyway, he started making, he made one for himself. And as he's gotten in Alaska, a lot of guys started asking, like, Hey, what, how do I get one of those? And that's kind of where it started and, and where the name comes from Alaska guide creations, you know, Jarrett being a guide in Alaska. And then, um, 
started making them for his clients. And then over the years, you know, he eventually stopped guiding in Alaska as he got a little older and started putting more and more time into building the vinyl pack and a product line. Nice. So, um, and, and like when you think about it too, it's just kind of all a little bit full circle for him. Y- yeah, exactly. Like his, the whole thing for him, he wasn't doing it originally. Hey, I have a product idea that I'm going to sell. <laughs> right. It was my number one, um, assets myself when i'm guiding is my glass and i and it, they cost me a lot of money and i need to protect them and so it really like the old adage you know necessity is the mother of invention um that's that's really where it come, the whole vinyl pack thing came from and you know now there's countless brands making different styles and and to be honest the way we feel about it is it's all good like everyone hunts differently um and people are going to find what fits their needs the best and that's a big reason why we don't have just one model. We have, you know, everything from the Kiss to the Denali and a bunch of variations in between to fit different styles of hunting, different optic sizes, um, extra storage, just, you know, you basically, you name it, different patterns. And it, it kind of allows us to not just focus on, hey, here's a product, hope you like it. Hey, how do you hunt? Like, let's, let's figure out what's going to fit you the best and suit, suit you the best. Well, I, I I also think that with each bino pack, there's not a specific style of hunting that goes along with that pack. I think it's more of just, like you said, the style that you hunt and the way that you hunt. Because I know, you know, some people that may want the rangefinder pouch or versus, you know, the, the hybrid that has the rangefinder pouch in the front, whether you don't want it on the side. So I think it's kind of all those options make it available to something that's more comfortable with you and and not something that, okay, I hunt this way. So I have to buy this pack. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you hit it right on the head. Cause I mean, you might find one bow hunter in like the deep South that uses the hybrid, but then a high country mountain hunter in Wyoming that uses the same pack. You know, it's, it's really based on what, how they use it, not specifically I hunt mule deer, so I need this one. What I really like too about that hybrid with the max pocket is that zipper on the bottom, having that little extra storage. I know for for turkey season, that's great just to have that little extra little piece of uh, to put your mouth calls in or something along those lines. Just because for, I know a lot of people here, um, you know, they're not a lot of people aren't wearing turkey vests like like it, like it used to be the big thing years ago. So even now, it's just easy to pop up and uh, get set up in position with either a, a small a day pack and then or just wearing your vinyl harness on on your chest. Yeah, absolutely. And and the but the vinyl pack we've seen, like I said, the turkey guys especially, instead of having that big vest, they can buy something that they don't use it just during turkey season. You know, they're they're able to use it in, during deer season. Uh, turkey season if they're just out glass and are taking a ride to go look at wildlife like you know it's pretty versatile that way um but yeah it's it's kind of crazy to see see where it goes we've even had a lot of you know guys that fish are starting to use it um just as that easy access for a couple of fly boxes or whatever um guys that waterfowl they're able to put some calls in there and a bunch of extra shells and they're set um per like back to like the cody or the cub or excuse me, the hybrid max. Um, I, I personally run the cub max and the biggest thing to me, like I was running an Alaska guide pack before I was ever even involved with the company. Uh, I tried a bunch of different brands and didn't really fall in love with any of them. And for me, um, I, I hunt mostly in the West, you know, I'm based in Utah where our warehouse is. So, you know, I'm Utah, Colorado, Wyoming, 
most mostly right through those are those states. And if I dump my backpack, if I'm on a stock and I get, it, it never goes as planned. I mean, you, you know, as well as I do, anytime you're hunting, something comes up, um, that's not perfectly expected. And, you know, I'll get, I can get away from my backpack much farther than I ever wanted to and then get caught in a rainstorm and that, and that's happened, you know, and I still have a fire starter. I still have a headlamp, you know, I have my calls, I have my elk read, um, and I have a replaceable blade knife. So I, I really have everything I need. If I do get an animal down or the tracking job went a little longer than, than we had hoped and I, I have done my backpack, I can still take care of the animal without having to backtrack to go get something like that. Now that's, that's so, so it almost turns into like your essentials kit. Yep. Oh, and by the way, it holds your optics too. Yep. And that's honestly, that's exactly what that has turned into for me. It's been my, my optic holder. It's been my tag holder. It's been, that's where I keep my little emergency, uh, little gear where, you know, it's just even a little Ziploc bag. Like you said, my waterproof matches, just whatever I may need, just in case something were to go wrong. It's, I have it there as a, you know, it's part of me and, and, uh, it's with me at all times. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of funny. You, you know, you always have that stuff. Yep. And, and, and for me, like, I, I'm never patient enough. Like if I see a buck or a bull that I'm going to go after to draw, I'm like, Oh, I'm going to drop my backpack for the stock. And then I'm going to be like, Oh, let me get in my pack and make sure I have my essentials. Like that never happened for me prior to running the AGC um, chest pack. Cause you just get caught up in the moment, but when it's just there, it's there. Even if I just go for a ride out behind the house, you know, I throw my binos on and if something went real bad, like I have some essential stuff. Well, that's what I even know for whitetail hunting. I mean, just to have everything right there on your chest is, is makes a huge difference. I remember just having the, you know, the bino straps that went over your shoulders. And I mean, half the time that your binos are down at your belt line, um, and then you ha- trying to have your range finder in your pocket and, and, you know, being in a tree stand hunter, you gotta be pretty dis- discreet on, you know, your movements when you're trying to range or use your binos and, you know, half the time you're making all these excess movements. Um, but that having that bino harnessed on is just huge as far as minimizing your movement and, you know, making sure you're getting the right range ranges while you're in the tree stand as well. No, absolutely. And it's, it, it's cool to see that that translates, you know, again, back to, it doesn't, it's not just for one specific person, you know, you're, if you're a hunter or you're an outdoorsman of any kind or, or woman, um, you know, you're able to use this pack to fit your needs. And it's, it's kind of, you know, again, Jared sure, surely didn't think, Hey, I'm going to make this pack and, you know, bird watchers are going to like it, but it fits, it fits that too, even though it's like an, unintended outcome you know yeah for sure now zach could you go over maybe just a little bit of like what packs you guys offer and you know maybe even like you said it it's not one size fits all so like even talk about maybe what scenario uh could help somebody out for a particular hunt like i know uh like you said right now i'm i'm rubbing that uh running the kodak cub myself i really like that 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 piece and uh it's great for for me tree stand hunting it's great for when i'm doing all you know even like you said turkey hunting er earlier in the spring for myself but we're coming out west to do some mule deer hunting uh so that's you know that's going to help us out and you know talk a little bit about what uh packs you do offer and and how that could uh benefit someone all right yeah so basically there 
the the very first thing you want to look at is your optic size because that's the most um, crucial piece of your kit, right? So the Kiss, the Kiss Max, the Hybrid, the Hybrid Max, and the Cub and the Cub Max—they're all the main or the the main compartment of all of those packs are the same size. And generally, I mean, every bino is a little different, but in general, those those packs fit all your 10 by 42 and smaller binoculars. So once, and then uh, once you have that figured out, like whatever pack you're going to go with, then, you know, the, the max option versus the hybrid with the mesh side, but it has the front range finder pocket versus the cub that has the front range finder pocket, but the side pockets are zippered. You know, that's, that's where you start getting into, well, what am I going to put there? How often am I getting into that pocket? And then there's the kiss that literally stands for keep it simple. You know, the old phrase, keep it simple, stupid. Um, the KISS is, is the base version where it's a main compartment for your binos, mesh side pockets, and then from there, the max, you have any any model that is a max version adds the bottom pocket or the basement pocket. And then the hybrid is, it, its name came, it's just a, a hybrid between the KISS and the Cub. So it has the front range finder pocket of the Kodiak cub, but it has the mesh side pockets of the kiss. Yeah, so those are the main, the, for the 10 by 42 and down, like this, essentially the small version. Uh, then you move up and there's the classic and the classic max. And that's the original vinyl pack. Definitely the most versatile. You could always put a smaller pair of binos in there, but if it's, um, up to a 12 by 50 and as well as the 10 by 42 with the range finder in them, um, a lot of those rangefinder binoculars are a little bit thicker to accommodate the battery and the mechanics inside. Um, so, so the the classics really like it's like the medium, but it fits the widest array of binoculars, and it's like the Kodiak Cubs big brother, uh, exact same design just enlarged. So you have the the front rangefinder pocket, um, the side pockets that are zippered. All the packs have the flat mesh back pocket and the phone slot. Right that's elastic on top. Uh, then you go into the, uh, the Alaska classic max. It's the same pack Add the, the basement pocket for the extra storage. Uh, from there you move up and the Denali is like the great granddad or whatever <laughs> way you want to phrase it. Yep. I mean, it, it's a big pack. It's really built for those like 15 by 56 binoculars. Um, and, and a lot of the older binoculars are coral prisms that have the jog in them versus the roof prism that are more tubular binoculars. Um, so, so any of your real large optics, they're going to go in the Denali and because the Denali is so big, we did enlarge that front pocket and a lot of your long range shooters, they're looking a long way anyway. Most are using larger optics and the G7, uh, the, the Gunworks G7 range finder is significantly larger than most and it will actually fit in that front pocket. Nice. Um, so that's, that's really like the main core of of our business you know is the bino packs um when you move on from there we have the new scout backpack that is a basically a small backpack that allows you to to connect your bino pack to it if you prefer but you don't have to you can run it as a standalone item has a bladder compartment um and has the ability to strap on a weapon uh, a bow shotgun rifle uh for if you're you know going in or coming out and you want to be hands-free it's certainly not a backpack that you want to like load haul with. You're not going to go kill, kill something miles away and, and want to carry it out. There's no internal frame. It's not built for that. It's really built 
uh, it was actually designed specifically for for the whitetail hunter that wants to have a small backpack. They can't if they want to sit with it on. They can't have the binos connected to it. If they want to take them off, take the backpack off, they can, and then main still keep the bino pack on. Um, it's kind of the second iteration of the stalker, which is a hydration only pack, and it replaces the harness that comes with every bino pack. Um, the the biggest gripe we got from from especially the tree stand hunters was, I love it, but if I want to get into it, I'm kind of taking everything off to get in there. Yeah. So if you're just out for, for like an afternoon walk or a morning walk or checking trail cameras, it's, it's ideal. Um, if you're going to walk in and then need to get into it and you don't want to take everything off, you'll want to go with something like the scout. Well, and I remember the, when you guys came out with that not too long ago, just a few months ago, right? Yeah. The scout launched in February. So it's, it's very new. Um, just prior to you know all this this COVID stuff, so it's it's very very new. It's only been out to the Western Hunt Expo, and after that, the shows were a little hairy. Yeah. And let's take a quick break to thank our partners over at Cobra Archery. Cobra Archery Harvester is the release that I'm using right now. I love everything about it. I love the durability, the adjustability to it. Uh, man, you could adjust that the um, the trigger system with just the length, the angle, rotation, with just by using one screw. So awesome release! Check them out over at CobraArchery.com. Well, that's what I know with a lot of your accessories. I actually run the um, the Hybrid Max, but I also got the Rangefinder pouch, just for the fact that I like it a little bit more on my right side, um, especially being in the tree stand, uh, bow hunting that way with my bow on my left hand. I'm able to kind of slowly creep down to get that rangefinder on the right side um, then I l actually like to use my front pocket to put my thumb release into that way it's always in front of me um, when I'm walking or you know in and out of the tree stand so I kind of use my pack that way which makes it a little bit different than what it's uh, built for yeah absolutely and, and I that's not completely uncommon I was just talking to a guy the other day um, hunts coos deer in Arizona and he was asking me where where should I put my thumb release? And I told him about the rangefinder pouch. And I said, well, and a lot of guys would split it behind the flat pocket behind. But then you're again, you're trying to limit motion. You're kind of digging. But if you're sitting in your stand, you just leave that front pocket slightly open, and your your thumb release will slide right in. Um, one thing I do want to touch on is the, all those accessories. You know, the rangefinder pouch, the um, inline accessory adapter that holds anything with an antenna, a large phone. GPS, anything like that, and the the pistol holster, they're all ambidextrous. So we don't have you don't have to say, well, I'm only going to use it here. You know, if you know when you're bow hunting, you're right-handed. You you usually want your accessory on your right side because your bow hand is on your left side, like you just talked about. And, you know, and if if you decide, oh, when I'm rifle hunting for whatever reason, I like it on the other side, or vice versa. You know, or um, I know. If handful of guys that shoot a rifle right-handed but for whatever reason they shoot a bow left-handed it's kind of backwards to me or different to me but you know everyone's a little different um even the pistol holster you're able to to flip the backer um around to the other side of the holster and that that really gives you the chance to uh to make make it fit whatever you'd like instead of 
I need different different items for different setups. And I'll even Zach just even touch upon even like with these accessories, the rangefinder pouch. Like Dimitri and I have both have when we we're talking about that. When you first see it, you're like, okay, how does that fit and how does that stay? Is it going to droop? Is it going to move? And uh, man, when you get it uh, snug down to wherever you want it, it does not move whatsoever. So you don't have it. it everything <clears throat> stays solid, and that's the one. The one thing, like how you said, when you were trying other different brands, and uh, you know, when we settled on the, and you know, finally came across the Alaska Guide Creations one, that's the one thing where, for me personally, I was like, okay, this fits me right. This isn't going to move. It's not going to. Uh, cause me to continue to, to continue to adjust. It just sits where it needs to go. And that's the one thing where, again, not only is the, is the quality great, but that's the number one thing for me, just because it's that comfort level. No. And that's, and it, it's hard. Like we're not a gigantic company by any means. Um, but when we bring a product out, we want it to be right. You know, like that scout backpack, we used it like all last summer and fall just to make sure it's going to work the way we want same thing with the rangefinder pouch the year before you know we don't we don't launch a ton of products in a hurry because we have a a pretty good name and and, you know people trust us to put something out that's good because we put something out for so long that they can trust and and to betray that trust once you're going to lose a lot of credibility so for us it's really important that when you do come out with something that it works the way the way people expect and and I don't know if you've had to deal with us at all with customer service. Um, we, we make it a priority. Again, like I said, if you call the phone numbers on the website, you either talk to me or you talk to Jared. You don't get an answering service. Uh, you don't get, you know, someone at a desk that doesn't actually use the gear. Uh, so it's that that's really important to us. And then even, like, following up on orders, like, we're – that that's a huge, huge thing to us because people trust that, like, People work hard for their money, and if they're going to spend it, we want to make sure that you know we're providing what we we say we're providing to them. Well, that's what I just love about your pack too. I mean, I mean, even yeah. just seeing pictures on the internet, you know that's a high quality pack. I mean, it just looks good, and then especially when you get your hands on it, you know that this thing can get beat up pretty good in the outdoors and when you're out in the woods, and you're not going to have to worry about it breaking or tearing, and you know, and it can go through a lot. And especially, you know, with your, the camos and the solid colors, I mean, just look phenomenal on the packs as well. Oh, well, thank you, man. It's a, uh, it, it's definitely a priority. You know, if we, we, we do have a lifetime warranty, you know, if anything ever goes wrong, all someone's got to do is send it back to us. And, you know, th- so they cover that to get it to us and we're either going to fix it or replace it. Like that's just, that's just how we, how we operate. You know, um, we understand mistakes happen. Like, We've had guys slam doors and buckle or buckles and doors, <laughs> had them, yep. you know, get dropped in the campfire, dogs shoot them up. I mean, you name it, it's happened. And, and we get it, you know, like life happens and, and we, we feel good about the product and how it's built that, that we really think it's going to hold up. So we, we stand behind it. That's awesome. Now, Zach, talk a little bit about, you know, like how we said, we're coming from Pennsylvania, we're coming out to Utah. Talk a little bit about uh, what we kind of need as far as glass goes. I know right now I'm running uh, specifically a Vortex Diamondback, like 10 by 42s. They're my kind of do it all. You know, I use them just driving around when, whenever we're going out looking for deer. I use it during the, you know, in the tree stand even and um, in the spring. And I do plan on bringing them out 
west when we come out to utah as well you know is that is that something where you know you could say hey you're you're okay for that right now um you know it could be helpful to get a size up or you know run us through a little bit of 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 that cl clarification for which <clears throat> size glass that you need for maybe certain types of hunting yeah for sure so again i don't want to sound like i'm just giving you a generic answer either but everything's so specific to to what you feel good with and i and i feel that way with my stuff personally if i feel good with it i'm confident in it i'm i'm a better hunter because i'm not worried about my gear you know what i mean it just yep. is second nature it's i i know it's there i know i trust it it's good as far as optic size goes um you know a lot of that for me depends on what type of hunting i'm doing um personally I love a 10 by 42 because I think it's one of the most versatile sizes glass, size of glass you can have. You know, you can post up on a tripod. Like if you guys are going to be hunting some stuff where you're glassing long range, that's the most important thing is get on a tripod. Okay. Uh, it's not, it's not so important. Like you don't need 15 power binoculars to spot game. It, you need to be stable because deer and elk and anything else you hunt, they don't move a lot. Like, I mean, relatively speaking, they, they really are essentially lazy. Like, the, you know, yep. the older we get, the more lazy we get. And a, a big mature buck is much more like that than the little kid running around the house without like any direction. So when you're, when you're on a tripod, you're so steady that you can catch an ear flick. You can catch a tail flick or just the turn of a head when you're hand glassing no matter how steady you feel you are, you're moving some and it's going to conceal that movement. Uh, that's, that's honestly like Jarrett and Jarrett convinced me. Like I never ever glassed with the tripod. Like I was like, whatever, that's just extra weight. I don't need to carry that. And Jarrett flat out convinced me we, we'd go out glassing when I was, when I visited him in California or whatever, cause he, he lives in Ohio. Um, but that's beside the point. Um, we would, we'd go out glassing and he'd throw it up on a tripod and he's glassing with eights on a tripod. And I was like, man, Jared, I love you, but man, I'm going to, you're not going to see nothing. And he just laughs. And, and you know, before long, he's picking up deer. I'm glassing with tens and he's glassing with eights. He's picking up deer. I can't even spot. I throw the, the tens on a tripod and you're like, that's amazing. Like it just changes everything. One, you can glass a lot longer and that's, half the battle you know what i mean yep and when you're that steady like you start picking up birds you know jumping bush to bush you, you'll see you know just any motion is going to catch your eye because you're so steady and everything's still I, I don't know if that makes sense or if that's that sounds crazy but no no i mean i kind of like the idea because like how you said there's so much material out there right now where if, if you read, it's like, you have to have 10 by 50. And as you, if you come out West and, and all that type of stuff, when, and like you said, in reality, it's just whatever you see good with. And you know, if it doesn't, if it's not broke, don't, don't fix it type of ordeal. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if you stand, you can even do it in town and you stand and glass down the street and you hand glass and try to read a license plate versus like, I mean, it's gotta be a, a decent distance away or it's, you know, you're going to see it in anything, but you try to hand glass with a pair of 12 by fifties versus an eight forty two. It's night and day. How much hand bounce you have or glass bounce, whatever you want to call it. And 
and that's just that's a stationary license plate that you you should be able to read no problem you know as soon as you're steady it's 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 not even a challenge um but but yeah so for me i do glass with 15s but they're always on a tripod if i'm glassing with them they're just it's too much like if you hold a pair of 15s in your hands you're not going to be able to pick a deer apart and like really measure them up in your in your head or an elk or anything like that let alone if something's bedded in the shadows and the only thing it's doing is flicking its ears when the flies are on it you know good luck well that's what i i've been listening to a lot of western podcasts just preparing for this hunt and a lot of things that they're saying is that it also depends on how picky you are in, in the animal you want to take as far as what you need to see too you know a lot of people say why carry the extra weight of bigger binos or a spotting scope when you see a good buck when you can probably see him with the eight you know, the eights or the tens and, and say, I'm going after that deer. Or if you're really looking for something big and specific and you really have to pick that deer apart to see if that's something you want to take. For sure. And if, and if you're at any distance at all, even with 15s, that's going to be difficult. Like you're going to want to spot it. You know, like when I, a lot of times, like I'll do backpack hunts where, you know, we hike in and you basically, you just have what you have and that's what you have for the week. And to me, it's more important to be able to have a wider range of view when I'm glassing a long ways. Or not not like crazy distance, but decent distance. I'd rather have a wider range of view, be able to see stuff move, pick it up, instead of looking at a, a smaller portion of the hillside. And then I'm going to have to put a spot and scope on it anyway to really know what it is. That's so, awesome. You yep, know what I'm- Yep, 100%. Now, let me ask you a little bit, because like I said, we're coming out We're coming out for the early season. Uh, what's your experience hunting mule deer uh, come, say, that, that early August time frame? Uh, so early August, you know, deer, for the most part, they're bastard up. You know, they, they're out in, the, in a fairly good pattern. Um, if, you, if you find a deer in a canyon, it's going to be close. You know, deer aren't moving a whole lot as far as travel. Um, I don't know what part of the state you're coming to, but I, I honestly, once you find the buck that you like or a, a group of bucks that you like, they're going to be in a reasonable pattern. Now, I mean, I'm not saying they're going to walk the same trail every day. You know, that's, they could, but that's no guarantee. But if you have some bucks found, there's a good chance they're going to repeat something similar to that pattern, whether it's every day or every couple of days. Um, it's hot, you know, in August in, in most of Utah, it's really hot in August. They're not going to be crazy far from water. You know, they're going to water at least every two, three days, unless you're getting some moisture through the weather or, you know, a real hard dew in the morning. They'll get a lot of it off the vegetation. Um, but that, those are the bucks. Like I love the bow hunt in, in Utah because you do have that velvet time when they're, they're more, they seem to put up with a little more and they're, they're just not quite as leery. Like they're, they're kind of in their summer, like lackadaisical pattern before the velvet comes off and they're, and they're kind of going solo to, to stage up for the rut. I don't know. I, there's so much to it. I, I hope that answer helps. I, it probably doesn't. <laughs> no, we're, we're, we're going to be coming out to the the northeast part of utah in the south slope vernal area is where we're going to be hunting and we drew our tag for oh okay 
Yeah. I, I've spent a little time up there, not a lot. Uh, mostly, um, you know, when I was younger, we'd go up and go uh, hike into some of the you know, the lakes up there and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I I mean, if you do have a, a buck glassed up and you're watching him in the morning, my recommendation would be wait for him to bed and then really plan your path. Um, and that's not always possible, you know, like even on some of the high country, like, I mean, you guys could get into some high country in that area. Um, you glass a buck up and you think he's going to bed. He might go tuck in some deep timber. And, and to me, when, when those type of things happen, you're better off, you know, give him another day, like next time you see him. Cause if you just walk in there blind and blow him out, you don't know where he's going to go. But if you leave him be, chances are he's going to be visible again in the, in a very close proximity to where you first saw him. Um, when they bed is when you're going to have an actual chance to, you know, where they're at, you can plan your path, you can make a move and have a little more known in the equation where if they're feeding and moving, you're just guessing. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Now, can you, can you kind of explain to us and, you know, someone that's not been out West and, hasn't got to a high vantage point and had the glass. Now, how do you go about picking apart maybe a hillside or, you know, how big of an area are you glassing for how long and then maybe gritting down or over and, and kind of picking that hill apart? Can you kind of explain how you go through that process when you find a good uh, glassing point? Yeah, for sure. So first thing I do is I check the areas that if the deer's there and moving to the exit, I'm going to hit those first just in case. And I, and that's just all based on my opinion, right? Like, and a lot of the stuff you, you go ask more than once. So you kind of know where the deer like to move, but if it's something new and there's a pot, like there's some, a clearing, like I'm going to go ask the edges first, or if there's a skyline with a saddle where they're going to cross, I'm going to go ask that first because if they're right there and they're leaving and I'm, I just start gritting right off the bat, I may never know it. And then, then the obvious piece is like, you, you know, when you look at a canyon, like, Hey, that looks deery or like, that looks like, I don't know why a deer would be there. That's whatever. And so I look at the most, the most obvious places first and, and go fast. Like I'll go over everything fast first. And then if I know something's there, or if I know like, man, like they've been around, like then that's when I go back and. And I'm going to be completely honest with you. I'm not the best at like sitting and saying, okay, I'm going to grid horizontally and then vertically. Like I'm just, and it, it could be a detriment of mine, but I, I'm not built that way to where I can sit and just glass like a perfectly horizontal line, drop down a notch, glass back horizontal. So I'll, I'll kind of scan and then, you know, really go through some different areas. And I'm not saying I'm perfect at it. So I mean, everyone's a little different but that's what works for me and then i like to move to like you may see into the shadows from one spot just right and then you get up and you move 100 yards or 200 yards and get a little different angle or the you know or the sun you know has risen a little more or set a little more morning or evening and you, you get yourself a little different angle and that all it's going to take is that per one spot and then it's on, right? But I would just tell you time to, like, don't glass for five minutes and leave. Because it, it, on any hillside, like, 
if you're just sitting there glass and you hit the clearings, you glass what you can see and then you, you bounce, you probably spent more time walking to the area that you're going to glass from than you actually spent glassing it. Well, I, th- I think that's what the hardest thing is, especially co- someone coming from the east, coming out west to, for the first time is, you know, you're, you're going to sit there in glass and, and be there for a short period of time. Be like, oh, I don't see anything. Let's go to the next spot or the next canyon. And I think that building that patience is, is the hardest thing to kind of quite grasp when you first get out there, especially for the first time. Yeah, for sure. And it's learned. Like, I'm, I'm more patient than I was, you know, five, ten years ago. But I'm still not as patient as I know I should be. And it's hard. Like, you know, you're sitting there for two hours, three hours, and you haven't seen anything. And you're like, man, what about that canyon? What about that canyon? And to me, especially in areas where it takes you some time to get there, and you got there at a good time, you're probably better off just sticking it out and spending the the vat like if you're going to hunt there for the morning or if you're going to hunt there all day you're better off sitting there the entire time maybe bouncing around a couple little spots like you know close to where you can glass different angles or if there is like the backside or whatever you can see pretty easy but if you just walk up in there and say it takes you an hour to get in there you glass for 20 minutes and it takes you an hour to walk out you're not really making the best use of your time driving to the next spot and then you know before you know it, it's getting to that time where they typically are, you know, hitting their first bed of the day or they're getting into the shadows, getting into the timber and, and you wasted, you know, 60, 70% of the time walking in, walking out and driving. Um, I just think you end up as hard as it is, you end up seeing more game if you're just behind the glass. And for the last break of the day, let's thank our partners over at America's Best Bowstrings. Man, I love their Platinum Series strings. I even love their Premium Series strings that I used on my bows the past couple years. And I'll tell you what, not only are they all awesome, uh, you're getting amazing quality, amazing durability, amazing performance out of them. And their Premium Series, you get a one-year warranty. Their Platinum, you're getting two years out of those. Uh, man, and they're all custom made to you. So if you want a cool, awesome color, go for it. If you want something that's a plain Jane, you go for it, man. But you're getting something that you know, they pour, they pour their heart and soul into making a, a great set of strings. They just released a new video. Go check that out over on their YouTube page. And, uh, man, I'm glad I'm rocking America's best. So check them out over to America's best bowstrings.com. No, I don't know. And that's something where like Dimitri talked about as we come out, that's the one area where for myself, I know I'm already mentally putting it in my brain. Like, okay, we have to just go through the motions of let's spend time and behind the glass and let's see rather than just, Oh, yep. Nothing on. And then move on. Just because I think, like you said, it's in the long run, it's going to end up being, uh, 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 it's going to hurt us in the long run compared to helping us. For sure. And it's kind of back to the tripod glassing, having a tripod with your glass on it. You're not sitting there holding your glass up uncomfortable. The more comfortable you are, the longer you'll glass and the longer you'll glass, the more you'll see. Yeah, you know, and it's so it's all it's all tied together there. So if you can get super comfortable, and you're not holding your your binos up the whole time, and you're able to just scan easy by you know moving your tripod, and even and I wouldn't say you need to scan constantly. Like you, I move it to a spot and I stare at it for a while because, I mean, I can't count the number of times you're looking at a spot and it seems like nothing's there. 
you you end up picking up just a little bit of motion of one deer or like <laughs> the, the, the sound of, of the a deer. deer. Yep, the flick of the ear. And the next thing, yeah, and the next thing you know, holy smokes, there's three deer in my field of view right now. And I scanning, I saw zero. Yeah. Well, let me, let me run you through this scenario then. Like, let's say, uh, we're on day two, let's just say we get there. Um, and we, we didn't have that opportunity to really take that opportunity to pre-scout. So we get set up, we're going hunting and we're, we're glassing now. And, and like you said, we, we see some deer, um, but then, uh, but it's closing, it's, it's getting down to the end of the day. So then now the next morning we kind of go up to that same spot, that same area and we we're glassing. And then after maybe an hour or two, we see some deer. What could you walk us through that scenario of like, maybe what your next plan of attack would be if you see that this is the deer that you want to go after? Yeah. I mean, if you see a deer you want to kill, the very first thing is, you know, what, where is he headed? Is he bedded? What's he doing? Like, what's a, what is there is he with other bucks? Is he alone? You know, and, and you'll pick that out just from watching him. And, and you can kind of tell, you know, when they get ready to bed, they're going to start acting a little different. You know, they just kind of start pawing up the ground a little. They're not moving as quick. Um, and, and that's, again, there's, there's no such thing as always or never, right? Like sometimes they're just walking and they stop, flop right down. Um, but one, I would just watch him until, and the whole time you're going to be looking around in just human nature and you're going to start seeing, well, that looks like a spot I could get to without him seeing me. And then once say he is bedded or he gets like, cause if he's moving, good luck, like getting in front of him and guessing where he's going to go. Cause if you start rushing something, you're going to bump another deer you didn't see or something's not going to go right. But you get embedded and you decide, Hey, that's a spot. I think I can make a move on it and get, you know, within, within whatever range I feel comfortable, you know, then you start planning your path. Like, how am I going to get to that deer? What is my wind going to look like? What's my wind look like here? What's my wind probably going to look like there? And, and, and you guys probably don't experience it as much in the East, but there's the thermals here, you know, early morning, you know, all that, your, your air currents typically top to top to bottom. And once it hits a certain temperature, it just switches like a light switch. And your air currents are going to, all of a sudden, they're going to go bottom to top. And if you, you don't want to start a stock if it's top top to bottom, because one, you're not going to get there. And if, you, if you're going, trying to come under the deer up, and then it switches, I mean, it's over. And it's hard. I always, if, if ever possible, I want to come from above a deer or else. You know, I want to come in from above them. They always bed facing downhill and you just have one you can see. And it, it's just, you know, predators always get the, the high ground, right? Like you, you don't see a lot of mountain lions laying down in the bottom of the canyon. Yeah. Now also, also if you're stalking a deer and maybe you, you bump that deer or, you know, maybe you miss or, or something doesn't go right now, can you kind of say, should should you maybe wait to the next day and see if there's anything in that canyon or do you feel like you blew it out and maybe you should just move in that that scenario how would you go about that if that situation arised you know it, it it's all it's going to depend on how hard you bumped him right you blow him out and he runs full bore across two ridges like you're probably not seeing that deer again yeah you bump him and he just gets down in the trees, but he wasn't really going hard. He wasn't really sure what happened. There's a good chance he's going to be there. Um, 
I don't typically like, even though I just told you, like you blow them out of two canyons, like chances are you're not going to turn them up, but I don't, I don't really buy into the deer vacates the area. He's just going to get a little tighter with where he hangs out. I like, he might not be in that exact Canyon, but he's not going to be crazy far either. Um, he might end up just moving to another draw that has a little less pressure, a little less open, um, not be up as much in the daylight, things like that. Like I wouldn't, I've bumped deer before. I've met the biggest buck I ever killed. I met the first time I shot at him. Um, one of those situations he came up and I had, it was now or never. And I guessed the range and I shot right over him, um, with my bow. And I ended up killing him like a week and a half later, literally right over the top of the same hill. That's like crazy. he didn't vacate. Um, now I didn't see him for like three days either. Like I, I continued to hunt him, but I never, I never turned him up, but I, I just figured he had to be there still. Like, and if he wasn't, then I was wasting my time, but it's kind of one of those things. If you have a particular buck in mind like that, I, I've never, again, like I said, I've never bought into the notion, you know, he changed zip codes. Yeah. That, that's my personal feeling. Like, I'm sure there's plenty of guys out there that have had experiences where they know that buck moved like three miles because they turned him up somewhere else. Yeah. You know, again, there, it's, no, there's no such thing as the always or never. But in my experience, the deer's there. You just might have to work quite a bit harder at turning him back up. Well, now, Zach, you talked about, too, how going after some mule deer with the bow. When is your perfect prime time? Uh, time to go out to to hunt with the bow oh man i love honestly i love the early archery because i'm a velvet guy okay. i i like them in the velvet i know a lot of guys like don't like they're more like no i want them hard horned i love the velvet one again they're 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 a little more susceptible because of their patterns um and and they're just they just seem to be kind of like it's like us on summer vacation. Like they kind of get in that mindset. No one's messed with them for so long. They kind of get, in the, they're not as twitchy. Um, I love that time of year, but it's, it can be hot and it can, I mean, it's long days, you know, sunrise is super early and it's set super late. And you're, if you're up before, like up glass and before light and then stay till I, till it gets dark, you're not sleeping a lot, but it's kind of part of the fun yeah. to me. Um, that's that's probably my favorite is the the early archery season that's awesome to hear that makes me really excited for next month and you know you talk about you know coming out early and and for us being our first trip you know i know dimitri and i we, we're doing a lot of practice as far as shooting and just feeling comfortable you know it's something that we take very serious here even going after whitetail but even now it's kind of i would say it picked up a little bit just because we want to be ready for every situation and every scenario can you talk a little bit about um you know your kind of practice routine like are you practicing steep angle shots um i know that's just something that you know you, you read about and see in, in magazines online and uh that that could be a possibility just because again like you said you're going to be up on high ground and if you get on top of of the deer like that you're going to possibly have that type of real steep angle shot like what do you practice that at all or, or or talk a little bit about uh that scenario yeah so i i do i try to shoot every morning 
real early when there's no wind. So I know if I'm, if something's not right, it's not, I can't be like, ah, the wind was blowing or like I was wobbling because of the wind or whatever. Um, and I don't, I don't want to come, come across the wrong way. Like I'm by no means the guy that's putting out like a thousand arrows a week. Like I just don't have that much time, but I try to get out and get, you know, a handful of group, um, rounds of arrows out every day if possible. And then once I know I'm dialed, like I have all my pins dialed exactly where I want, I do go shoot the angles and, and, um, a local buddy here of mine, he's, he knows more about archery than, than I do by a mile. And I always make sure, even if I, I did it the year before, but I always make sure I go over and get with him and make sure he checks my third axis on my site, make sure nothing's been bumped. And you guys are probably well aware of third axis, but that's where your, your angles really are going to screw you up yeah. is if you're shooting a steep decline or steep incline and your third axis is off, it doesn't matter if you have the perfect range finder, you're not going to hit what you, you think you're going to hit. Yeah. And, and part of that too is, is experience, you know, like, again, I'm by no means the, the most experienced archer in the world, but I know years ago, not understanding that I needed to bend at the hip, it changes how you anchor it. And you can't, you could never wrap your head around why, why can I hold a good group at 60 yards on flat ground, but you put me at 50 or 60 on a steep incline and I can't hold to save my life. Well, that's what I think, you know, the same concept goes along with tree stand hunting. So I think we kind of get in that mindset that the, the West is going to be totally different compared to the, you know, Eastern whitetail hunting out of the stand. But I mean, it's basically the same principles, just a little bit different terrain. Yeah. And, and that's one thing I would tell any Eastern guy, like, don't let it intimidate you. Like it's like, I literally know people who are the laziest. And I'm, again, I'm not trying to be like, holier than thou or anything it's just hunting right like don't make it don't make it more than it is like just come out hunt have fun like and you're going to enjoy the experience way better than if if you're constantly nitpicking yourself like i mean we all hunt because we love it right yeah, absolutely like, and, and it's it's just like i don't know if you all you all played sports growing up or not but the moment you let sports or anything like you lose the fun and the joy of it, it's not worth it. And you know, like I've missed bucks and it's like, man, you get really down on yourself. But in the end, like you look back and it's, it's still a cool experience. Like I'm pretty lucky to be able to do this. And like, like the, like West East thing, like if I went out East, like I'd have no clue, but you guys are experienced hunters. Like you're going to come out West and you might not know everything and you're going to learn stuff every single time, but that's the fun of, you know, if you came out and you knew every single thing about Western hunting, it probably wouldn't be all that fun or even feel like an adventure compared to if you come out and every time you go, you can learn and you can, you know, Hey man, I screwed that up. But next time I'm not going to make that same mistake. Exactly. No, and you hit the nail on the you head. Know. That's exactly how we feel coming in and you know, we're super, super pumped about it. And, like you said, it's just, it don't make it bigger than it is for us. It's more of a, a big excitement. Um, you know, right now I know we have, we're doing like our July month is basically our little mini Western hunt style, just because we're talking to people of, of that have a lot of experience doing it and just trying to gain some knowledge and maybe bring out the, to some people like for us, it was originally in my mind, like 
it was all oh, man. I, I I really really want to go. Like I would do anything to go out west to to hunt a mule deer, to hunt elk, a pronghorn, just whatever. I just want to do it. But then that that opportunity just seemed like it, it was never feasible until I just said, "Let's do it." No, and you you guys will enjoy it. And it sounds like you have the right mindset going. And I know there's a lot of fad going around. Like you have to be the most in shape guy in the world to go hunt in the west, and that's just not true. Like. It, it doesn't hurt. Like it makes it a little easier. And it, and I mean, I, I try to stay in the best shape I can to, to do it, but it's not, if you're proficient with your bow and not in quite as good a shape, you're going to have way more success than the guy that's in ultra like marathon shape, but can't shoot to save his life. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you know, and it, it goes, it's like anything, you know, you're going to get out of it what you put in. So I'm not saying like that you, you just don't put any effort in and it's going to just come to you. But it, I mean, at the end of the day, like the way I look at it, anytime I have a tag, like I absolutely want to kill. Like that's just, it is what it is. That's why we have tags. But if I don't kill a deer, even if I draw a great tag, yeah, I case in point, I had a Kayabab deer tag last year in Arizona. And I ate the tag. You know, I hunted the entire hunt. Hunted all. I mean, I don't go back to camp when I hunt because that's just one of my things. Like, if I wanted to sit on the couch or something, like, I would have stayed home. Like, I'd rather be out. Maybe I get lucky in the middle of the day and have something cross me. But I, you know, I hunted the whole time and I ate the tag. But I was able to spend a bunch of time with my dad, you know, see cool country, see a ton of deer. And, you know, it just didn't work out. And, and would I want to kill some of the bucks I was after? Absolutely. But I'm not going to make that, like, that doesn't go down as a bad experience for me because I didn't come home with a deer. You know, like, and I and I think you guys are that way too. Like, the experience and, and like, the excitement to come try something different is is way more important than whether you come home with a buck or not. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about the experience and, you know, getting to do something, especially a lot of people from the East don't even, you know, they dream of doing it, but they don't actually don't put a plan together to get out there. So we're, we're real excited about that. But, um, could you talk about, you know, any laws or regulations, say we get a buck on the ground and, you know, we're backpack it out is, is with the CWD. I know the big thing is there's every state has a little bit different laws and regulations of what you have to do. If you, you know, want to get a mount or, you know, you can't take the skull out of, out of state. Can you talk about anything that we should be aware of as far as that? Yeah. So as far as I know, in Utah, there's no restrictions for, for any of that. Um, you, you know, you want to make sure you take care of the meat. Like, of course, like if you don't take all the meat or if you don't take, um, take care of it and you let it spoil based on your, your failure to act, you know, you have the wanton waste laws, like, you know, cause none of it, like we're all sports and we like the animal needs to be taken care of. You know what I mean? But as far as the, the CWD stuff, it's certainly around, but as far as I know, again, I'm from Utah, so I've never dealt with taking a Utah buck somewhere else. Um, but I've never, never heard of any, any restriction as far as you, that Utah puts in as far as you taking it. Um, some other states may have some laws about bringing them in, like if they have to get checked, but I'm not aware of anything like that. Like that might be something you just need, like the, 
Pennsylvania may may have something, but I I wouldn't think so. Awesome, good stuff. Well, hey Zach, we're we're coming up to the time, man, and uh, this is awesome. That kind of flew by. What uh twenty twenty plans do you have coming up this season? Uh, so I didn't draw a whole lot. Um, I have my general deer tag in Utah. It's actually the dedicated hunter. Um, where in three years you get a tag every year, but you can only harvest two deer. Um, in well one deer, but in two seasons. Like so, if I kill the deer this year and next year then the next year you couldn't okay um but but in return you're able to hunt all the seasons on your unit so i can archery muzzleloader and rifle that's pretty um, sweet. but that that's a program utah does so i have that tag in, in in utah and then i have um my dad and i both threw a wyoming antelope tag and it's my first antelope tag and his first antelope tag so that should uh that should be pretty fun yeah that but be, other that than that like nothing fun, too Nothing too crazy. I always buy um, a harvest objective bear tag where it's just over the counter spot and stock, just in case during those dates I, I happen to run into one. Um, but yeah, nothing too wild. But I have some buddies with some tags that I'm going to probably tag along with. Um, a good friend of mine has a Colorado tag, and another buddy of mine drew an Idaho deer tag. So. So I'll, I'll at least get to get out and do some hunting, even though it, they may not have a, a tag with my name on it. Hey, man, anytime you could sleep under those stars, it's, it's, a, it's a good night and a wake up to a wonderful day. Oh, yeah, for sure. What about you guys? What you got? So we have, uh, uh, we'll be coming out, like I said, that opening weekend for, for Mule Deer out there in Utah. And then uh, for myself, it'll be hopefully... Uh, our, our archery season opens up uh, first weekend of October. We actually have it extended here in Pennsylvania. So uh, obviously we'll be hunting hard here in PA, but I'm Dimitri and I will be testing our luck out in Ohio uh, probably sometime on during the weekends in, in uh, October just to do a little bit something different, mainly you know, it's just kind of whatever the, the season brings of whatever we get on camera. If we have a buck on camera pretty early, we might try some different tactics that we're not used to trying to, to do and just maybe learn and grow and uh, go from there as far as that is concerned. But yeah, we're, we've been, uh, we've, we're pretty lucky that we have some friends in certain areas where if, depending on wh- how the hunting goes, we could either go to Ohio, to New York and possibly Maryland, just because of where we're situated and on the map here in Pennsylvania being centrally lo- located. So the main trip though, is definitely Utah and uh, hunting hard in, in uh, Pennsylvania and, and Ohio for sure. Awesome. Well, it sounds like you're going to have a busy year then. Yeah. Well, it's actually funny. I put in my, my coaching resignation for football this upcoming fall. So that'll be freeing up a lot of time for me and just handling everything here as far as the podcast goes and getting some more time in the woods. So I'm really looking forward to it. I, I, I love coaching. I love uh, doing all that type of stuff, but at the same time, it's uh, trying to change a little bit and, and put forth a little more effort out there in, in the wilderness. No, for sure. You only have so much time at at some point. You kind of have to pick and choose. Yep, absolutely. Well, Zach, hey, man, where could people learn more about Alaska Guide Creations and, like you said, hit you up and and, uh, all that information? Yeah, so our website is www.alaskaguidecreations.com. All all our products are there. Uh, We have a ton of dealers across the country that are all really great. Um, Not we're not in every state, but we're in a lot of places. But any, if you're not near a dealer, you can buy directly from us on that website. And then um, I, I will add that we, we are optics dealers as well. 
And if you give Jared a call at 805-551-6815, that's Jared's direct sale. It's on our website as well. But give him a call if you're interested in optics, and he can usually, one, he, he knows so much about optics. He's just a, a treat to talk to because he, he has so much knowledge and information. But um, give him a call, and, and he can usually find you a really, really good deal on some top-quality glass. That's awesome. Well, thank you again, Zach, for coming on. We really appreciate it. I learned a lot during this conversation and it's great to hear, uh, you know, how well you guys are doing things over there at Alaska Guy Creations. And it means a lot that you came on and talked to us about hunting and, and your gear. Uh, so hopefully other individuals got something out of this one as well. So uh, again, make sure you go check out Alaska Guy Creations. And until next time, everyone, Antler up. And that's a wrap for another episode of the Antler Up podcast. Thank you again, uh, Zach, for coming on, sharing some info with us. And I hope, hope good luck to you this upcoming season. And I hope you all enjoyed this one. Please be sure to go ahead and write that review. It's going to enter you into a drawing to win a Onyx uh, premium little uh, package. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go uh, rewind from the very beginning as I was going through the ads. So go check that out. And uh, thanks again for listening. It truly means the world to us. Good luck this upcoming season. Keep shooting straight and uh, check those trail cameras. Until next time, Antler up.